Well, Lady Queen, so grand and tall, you are not the fairest of them all. And that hangs the tale, a tale of the downfall of a beautiful woman. Though she had great beauty, it turned all to ugliness within. It changed her because she could not stand the idea that someone else was fairer than she was. So what was it that undid the beautiful woman? It was envy. Yeah. What turned her from beautiful to ugly? Envy. You know, some define envy this way. They say it is the displeasure of knowing someone has an advantage over you, an advantage you instead desire to have over them. So just maybe a little bit stronger than your typical version of jealousy, maybe as we think of it today. It may be even actually taking a step towards that. It seems, envy seems to say, I hate that they have it. I hate that they have it. Envy. It, you know, what Sue read, I, I guess, again, the opposite, where love does not envy. So what love would do in place of envy, love, envy, love would, would say, what is the best for you? And I'm going to work towards that end. That's what the opposite of envy would do. That's what love would do. What is the best for you? And I want to work towards that end. Envy instead says, I hate that you have that advantage over me, and I want that advantage instead. You know, but it's not just pictured in folk tales or fairy tales. We can see envy pictured throughout the scenes uh, that are found in the Bible. Uh, see if you can name some of these characters of uh, these stories. Uh, once upon a time, there were two brothers. Uh, one brother wanted what the other had, didn't get it, so he killed him. Uh, who were those brothers who that envy came between? Cain and Abel. Very good. All right. Once upon a time, there was a young man with 11 brothers, and he received a gift from his father. And he also shared a dream that caused so much envy that his brothers decided to kill him. They end up settling for just selling him into slavery to some foreigners. But who were those people that envy drove to such measures? Joseph and the yeah, sons of Jacob. That's right. Once upon a time, there was a brother and a sister who became envious of their brother who was leading them and leading a great multitude in the desert. They grumbled and complained until God intervened and struck the sister with leprosy. Don't ask me why he didn't also strike the brother. Maybe she was instigating it. But who was that leader and his siblings? Moses. That's right. Moses and his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam. And by the way, God, God said, I'll take away the leprosy if you pray for your sister, Moses. Good thing he did, huh? I know some brothers who might be like, forget that. I don't know what she did to me. I'm going to pray for her. Well, once upon a time, there was a king who became envious, so envious of one of his battle chiefs that he spent the majority of his time hunting him down to kill him. Who was that king? King Saul, yeah, and he was envious of David. That's right. 
And uh, it was, there was a certain song that rubbed Saul the wrong way. David has slain, or Saul has slain his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah, and that just rubbed him the wrong way. Now, once upon a time, there was a wise counselor to an emperor who no one could find fault with this counselor, and uh, the other counselors became envious of him. And so, uh, so envious that they decided they found a, a way to create a new law that he'd be guilty of, and they threw him in a lion's den. Who was that man that was thrown into the den? Daniel. Daniel, yes. And it was the counselors of Babylon that were envious of him. Uh, once upon a time, there were 12 men following a young rabbi, a rising star among the people of the land. And these 12 got into an argument about who was the greatest among them when they found out a couple of their fellow followers asked for advantageous positions to the left or right of Jesus. Who were those 12? Twelve disciples of Jesus, that's right. And uh, once upon a time, God took on flesh, and he lived among men. And the religious leaders became so envious of his spiritual authority and all the multitudes of people following him that the religious leaders let their envy take them to the place where they plotted the murder and crucifixion of Jesus. Envy shows up throughout the whole Bible, many scenes. But it's not just in the Bible, is it? I mean, once upon a time in a very near place, in fact, very near to here, there were three friends. And one of the friends became envious of the other two's relationship. Once upon a time in a very near place, there was a person who became envious of their neighbor's wife, became envious of their neighbor's children. In fact, someone near here became envious of their friend's boyfriend or their friend's girlfriend. Someone near here became envious of their neighbor's job promotion, became envious of another's ease of life, became envious of another's position their popularity, someone became envious of another's influence. And I can go on and on with it, couldn't I? And I think you know what I mean when I say envy now. And if we haven't given into it personally at some point, we have either been the object of it, or we have seen our friends whose discontentment and stubbornness have caused them to persist in envy like Cain. And they are inconsolable. You know, the Bible warns us of, of the danger of envy. We are told that where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice, James 3.16. You ever been a part of something and it just seems like it, it just can't get going? Or you're a part of something that seems like it's on track, but it just keeps coming off track? You might wonder and check and see, is envy part of going on with, with the people in that group? You know, Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It gets on the inside of you. It begins to eat away. It is, it is an unhealthy emotion. It is an unhealthy thought, and it causes decay. 
It causes decay is, is, is when it's entropy, when things fall apart. So it's not just seeing disorder on the outside, but envy can cause disorder on the inside, where things on the inside begin to fall apart. And that's why God warns us against envy. That's why he doesn't want us to be envious, because God wants to make us whole. He doesn't want us to fall to pieces. And he gave his son so that we might be whole. So envy is not something that has characterized the people of God. You know, there's a story about a guy who let envy continue in his life in such a way that he developed a rival. A rivalry with a, another man that he just always wanted to see fail. But he always seemed to succeed. And whatever he had, he wished that he had. And wished that this man didn't have it. And even began to plot ways for this not to take place. And in the story, an angel comes to this man who's eaten up with envy. And he presents him with something that he hopes will maybe remedy his situation. He says to the man full of envy, I will give you one wish. Anything at all, anything that you want, God has given me power to grant it to you. Only this is the catch. Whatever you wish... It will be given double to your rival. And without batting an eye, the envious man replied, Then I wish to be blind in one eye. (laughs) That is rotten to the bones. That is eaten up with envy. And isn't that what we see in some of the biblical scenes where envy is raised up in a person? I mean, have you ever experienced the disorder that envy, that envy brings? Have you ever maybe even tasted the rot of envy in your mouth? Well, I know that there is hope for us if we have. And I know that I'm someone who has been tempted and given into envy. It's something that I've experienced, and I know that there's hope for me. And there's a man in the Bible who honestly and vulnerably records his struggle with envy, specifically the sin of envy, and how he was rescued from it. And we have a whole chapter that talks about this. It's recorded in Psalm 73 by a man named Asaph. And I want us to to look at Psalm 73. It's a psalm that goes down to a horrible place. It starts out good, but goes down to a horrible place. But then there's a turn in the psalm, and it rises back up out of the pit, to a place of peace. And it is the journey of a soul tempted by envy. And I'd like us to read it together because I think it'll do us some good. So I know we're going to read 16 verses together out loud. So I know that's that's a little hard. It's a little long for a large group. I know we kind of might mumble and kind of go over each other a little bit, but that's all right. I think we can handle it. All right. So we're going to try reading this out loud together. Okay, here we go. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. 
They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths they claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. And they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? And this is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure. In vain, I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Wow. So he's telling it like it is. This envy that is tempting him, that is, that is trying to get a hold of him. And it has it come to a point where, where Asaph, he, he describes how his envy of the arrogant and, the, and he's envious of the prosperity of the wicked. He's, there's the, he sees the carefree lives of people and, and to the point that he's ready to say, I'm following God in vain. Meaning, I've, I've done this and it's just been a waste of my time. Look, they're, they're, they're doing all that stuff and, and they're carefree and they're prospering and all these good things happen to me. And me, I'm following God and none of that good stuff has happened to me. I'm, I've done this for nothing. I'm following God. I'm, I'm keeping myself pure for nothing. And as he allows... And he is allowing these thoughts in his mind. Do you, do you understand that, that you can allow thoughts, you can permit them to continue in your mind? That you have control over your thoughts? Do you realize that you can tell certain thoughts, I'm not going to think you any longer? I'm going to think something else? Do you realize that you have that ability with your mind? You do not have to give sway to every thought that comes into your mind? Well, Asaph, he is allowing these thoughts to plague him, meaning, meaning it's just bombarding him, coming after him. It's like a disease. And it becomes so oppressive to his mind that he even begins to think that he's being punished in some way. You know, there is a part of envy that's based in discontent. There's something within that isn't, isn't settled. And then so when you see something else or someone else, it hits that discontent. And envy finds a way in. Henrietta Mears was a famous Sunday school teacher at Hollywood Presbyterian in California who inspired hundreds of young people into missions and into ministry. And she once said this, the person who is helping the one below him will have no time to envy the person who is above him. The idea that we talk about here with mentoring people. Look over your shoulder to the, the younger generation behind you. And if you're doing that, you won't have time to envy the ones who are ahead of you. I guess is maybe the way we would say it. You know, sometimes, like King Saul, we lose sight over a minor issue, like a song rubbing us the wrong way. And we lose sight of the major issue, like a Philistine army attacking your countrymen. You know, sometimes discontent is merely just not having a big enough problem. 
Discontent is not having a big enough problem. You know, I believe for every Christ follower, we can keep ourselves from discontent with a great big problem to last our whole lifetimes. You know what that problem is? The people around us who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's a big enough problem to keep you busy for the rest of your life. There are souls out there that are in peril. And we have an answer to offer in Jesus Christ. And we need to be able to reach them. We need to look over our shoulder to the generation behind us, whether they believe or not. And we need to pass the baton of faith and leadership to them. As Mir said, help the one who's below. Now when you look at Asaph, discontent got him. Envy took its place. And he was, beginning to, he was getting ready to speak out. To such a point, he said, if I would have spoke out, I would have betrayed the children of the next generation. When you look at the turning point, there's a, there's a turning point for Asaph in this psalm. And there is something that changes everything for him, giving him a whole different pers- perspective, giving him an eternal perspective. I, I want us to read the next verses in, in Psalm 73 together, and I want you to see if you can spot what it is that changes his perspective. All right? Here we go. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So did you see it? Where was it? What was it? You can answer out loud. Maybe near the beginning? sanctuary of God till I entered the sanctuary of God. That was the moment that everything changed for Asaph. Before this, he said that that his oppressive envy made him like a brute beast, like a dumb animal before God, senseless, ignorant. But after entering the sanctuary of God, Asaph sees a new a new thing. He sees the end game. He's got a new perspective. And, and he sees, despite his dip into envy and despair, that God cares for him. That he'll take him by the hand and guide him with his counsel. After entering the sanctuary, he knows that nothing is better than being with God. And he doesn't desire anything else on, our, on earth. He's not going to trade it. He's got that perspective. And he's not going to lose it. 
He's going to say, he's saying, I'm going to be near to God from here on out. Now say that again. The root or envy, the root of envy is, is struck down and desire for someone else's advantage is replaced with what? A desire for God. His envy is replaced with a desire for God. Isn't that kind of what we've been talking about the past few weeks with the, with the deadly sins? That sometimes it's not so much about us resisting it, but it's replacing the idol that's come up in our life. The idol of, okay, I see these people and I want what they have. I want materialism. I want significance. I want comfort. And those become our idols. God says, smash the idols and replace me. Put, my, put me in my rightful place as the throne of your heart. And then, then you'll have strength to resist. But until that, until there's that kind of turning or repentance, until there's that replacing, it's useless. It's futile. And so this is what happens with Asaph. There is a desire for God that replaces. But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So how did it happen? It all started when he entered the sanctuary of God. I want to talk about that in just a minute. Maybe what that means for us to enter the sanctuary of God, to draw near to him. But first, I want you to hear a little bit of my testimony in my battle with envy, a specific instance that is, is very plain and very clear. That's envy, and you fell to it, man. Uh, so here's a little bit of my story. Envy is desiring the advantage that someone else has over you. In fact, it... it pushes even further into selfish ambition, wanting that person to no longer have that advantage, but instead you yourself to have that advantage. I was uh, 18 years old and I said yes to a traveling ministry. I was included not because of my great skills in music and drama, but because of my testimony. I did have some ability and enjoyed that sort of thing, but uh, among the others, I was probably the least trained. As the team carried on, as we uh, continued to minister to people, uh, I desired to be able to make the same kind of contribution, uh, to be able to do the same sort of thing musically or dramatically. In particular, um, focused on, on uh, music and writing music. One of the guys on the team, uh, the guy that went on to do professional music, uh, there was times when he would uh, get together with my future wife and uh, they would write songs together. Uh, he would play backup and uh, that led to some jealousy. And it came to a point where um, that jealousy kind of moved to envy because uh, I desired that advantage that he had. I wanted what he had. In fact, I wanted him to not have that advantage. It really what happened was uh, things became really relationally tense. If you've ever been the one who's been envied, uh, it stinks. Uh, it doesn't feel good uh, when 
you don't understand why someone is frustrated with you or angry with you or short with you. And that's the way I was towards this guy on the team. Any, any shortcomings on his part, I was there to tease him about it and probably try to rub his nose in it even. If there was any moment where he lacked discipline, I was there to show some sort of scorn or show that, hey, that's, that's not what's required of this team. My issue with envy was causing disorder on the team. So I remember one talk, we were all sitting together as a team, and this guy just looked at me and just said, look, you know what? God has shown me grace. Why can't you show me a little grace, Shannon? And when he said it, man, it was just like a, a knife to my heart. And I knew it was true. And I knew that there was a problem. And the problem was with me. And something had to change. It wasn't long after that, uh, a team manager for our group stepped in and uh, sat down to talk with us and uh, really got to the heart of the issue. And, and the heart of the issue was uh, my search for significance. Why I was struggling with envy is that I wasn't content with what Christ had done for me, that really He had made me significant by what He did for me at the cross, and that He had made me in a certain way, that He had given me gifts, certain abilities, and to be content with the contribution that I was making. My moment of confrontation, um, that moment of seeing the truth uh, made me real made me feel like I was going to fall over, but really it also made me turn to God. That was my going to the sanctuary moment, meeting with Him, and really seeing what He had done for me, and to know that it was enough and it was good. So I had a little idol in my life, searching for significance, the idol of significance, and God came after it through a relationship. And he came after it when uh, envy started coming up in my life. And uh, thank God for the body of Christ, for people who knew me, knew my story, knew who I was, and cared enough to say, uh, Shannon, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something not right. And, and to confront me with the truth. And, uh, and when, and thank God for that, that guy who had the truth, had the courage to speak the truth to me also. Just say, man, you, I don't know what's going on. He had no idea that it was envy, but he knew that whatever it was, it didn't feel good. And it wasn't very gracious. And, uh, and so I guess we all have an opportunity at some moment in our life to respond to the truth about ourselves. Even when that truth is maybe kind of ugly. And so what are we going to do with it? Are we going to turn? Are we going to repent? Are we going to smash the idol? Are we going to instead let God have his rightful place? Are we going to, maybe where we sought something from that idol, are we going to instead turn to God for that? For me, it was turning to him to know that, man, if Jesus died for me, that is the value God has placed on my life. The worth or the price that's been put on me is, is the cost of Jesus. That's value. That's significance. If I want more significance than that, then, then there, there is none. There is nothing greater than that.
That's huge. That's life-changing. It makes it where you don't have to go and seek significance elsewhere. And that's what changed for me. So that may not be the idol that has found its way in your place or the reason that envy is there. But if you are getting eaten, eaten up by envy, if it is rotting your bones, you've got to get to the sanctuary to get near God. It is a perspective changer and can move you from despair. It can move you from turning away from God to instead embracing God as your strength and as your portion forever. Again, in Psalm 73, we hear this mention of God being our portion. We talked about this when we spoke of greed, something that's never satisfied, and gluttony, uh, always wanting more. And, and we talked about the Lord being our portion, that he satisfies, he fills. Jesus satisfies. And if you can get to the sanctuary and get near God, you will quench that discontent and be rid of envy. Your eyes won't be filled with the rot of envy, but instead your eyes will be filled with the wonder of God. Get near to God. Get to the sanctuary. What does entering the sanctuary look like? The truth is that none of us can enter God's space, enter his place, his sanctuary, with our sin, with who we are. Jesus Christ is our only way into the sanctuary, the only way into his space, his place. You see, Jesus's, Jesus, his sinlessness is acceptable to God. And our sinfulness is not acceptable. It's just the bottom line to it. Now, I I know you may go, oh man, here we go again. We're talking about Jesus and the cross and substitute for our lives. And, And, you know, Jesus, he's without sin. I do have sin. Well, Well, don't get mad about it. Don't, Don't get mad about Jesus having an advantage over you. Don't, let, don't be envious of the Savior. I mean, he's fully man, but he's also fully God, right? And that's how he overcame every sin that he was tempted with, and yet was without sin, the Bible says. He overcame because he had the power of God. So don't get all mad because he has an advantage over you. That, you know, that would be like us being mad while we're drowning in a body of water. We're drowning in a body of water and we're crying for help and Jesus comes and he's got one foot on the shore and one foot in the water and he reaches out and says, take my hand. And you go, no, that's not fair. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and drown (laughs) because it's not fair that you have an advantage over me. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Yet that's what some people do. See, there is a part of envy that is stubborn. Cain was stubborn in his envy of Abel and his right standing with God, and he wouldn't even let God console him. When God tried to come and pacify him, say, hey, don't be angry, just do the right thing. Don't be angry with your brother. Cain wouldn't hear it. He wouldn't even hear it from God himself. See, Jesus does have an advantage over us, and we should be glad of it because the good news is that Jesus is willing to share his advantage with us. Jesus is willing to share his right standing with God with us so we can draw near to God. Jesus is willing to give his righteousness to all of us who have no righteousness 
so that we can enjoy God's acceptance, God's approval, God's presence. We enter the sanctuary through Jesus Christ. So, in Christ, if you're in Christ, what does it look like when you say, I want to draw near to God right now? How do you do that? If envy is coming after you and you know, well, I just need to draw near to God, and that's the cure, that's the remedy. You're already in Christ. What do you do? Well, maybe, maybe when envy tries to get you, it raises up its head, you, you stomp it down, you stomp on it by bringing and raising your heart up in worship. And when I say worship, this time I do mean like singing worship. That, that there is praise coming out of your mouth. And I know that, you know, not all of us are singers. That's all right. You know, the Bible says make a song in your heart. You can do that too. And, and, and we can give praise to God that way. But when you do that, and you draw near to him in that way, there's a new perspective that's given to you. as you, it, it comes to your mind's eye, a new picture that pushes out envy. In Jesus Christ, you might enter the sanctuary through prayer. Coming to him, you surrender your emotions to him, that, that surrender, that discontent, and you fix your eyes on him. And you begin to get a new perspective when your eyes are fixed on Christ. In Jesus Christ, you might enter the sanctuary by opening up the Word of God and reading it. And when truth comes to you, as you read it, you think and you draw, your heart draws near to God. And you'll find your desires are changed. Earth will have nothing that you desire any longer. It, be, it fades away. In Jesus Christ, you might enter the sanctuary by serving one of the least of these Someone younger than yourself, someone sick or in prison, someone without shelter, food, or clothing. And as you get low with these people, you hear Jesus saying, you're really doing this for me. And when you hear that, when you sense his pleasure over what you're doing, all of a sudden you're lifted up and you're saying, it's good to be near God and I don't want to go anywhere else. You see, if you're struggling with envy, I want to pray that you'll give up your desire for lesser things, for the desire of the greatest thing, knowing Jesus Christ and being near him, abiding with him, remaining in him. The guys in the band are going to come up here, and we're, we're going to do this right now. And so if you're someone who has struggled with envy, you're in Christ. You've already said yes and given him prominence in your life as your Lord and Savior, but you're still struggling with envy next few moments is for you. You can draw near to God. You can go into the sanctuary right here and now in worship, in prayer. You can open up the, your Bible, the Word. You can do that in the next few moments. And you've been pushing out, displacing that envy, letting Christ have the rightful place, giving you a new perspective. Now, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to share his advantage with you, to forgive you, to impart his life and his rightness into you, I encourage you now to call on him today. And say, Lord, I believe what you did for me, that you lived the life I should have lived, that you died the death that I should have died on the cross. That was for me, not just those people out there. And I need you. I need you in my life. You can pray that today. 
So in the next few moments, I want to challenge you to enter the sanctuary right now through Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're, we're going to begin worship. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, we want to draw near to you in Jesus Christ. But I pray that you would give us each a new perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.